0: is Core Discovery. Hello, welcome to this episode of Core Discovery with me, Abigail Acton. The International Day of Persons with Disabilities is on the 3rd of December. So this special episode, we're considering disability from three perspectives. The perception of disability across the world and the impact of awareness raising activities actions targeted to support disabled women, and how the very first robotic exoskeleton developed for children is helping disabled children to walk. Our three guests, whose projects have been supported by the EU's Horizon 2020 program, are here to share their results. A very warm hello to Monica Barr, Professor of Central European Studies at Leiden University, she led a project titled Rethinking Disability, the International Year of Disabled Persons, 1981, in Historical Perspective. Monica's research focused on disability, what is understood by the word in different cultural contexts, and how to promote inclusion. Welcome, Monica. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Cynthia Leone was the coordinator of the RiseWise project. Her research topics are disability, equality, gender, diversity, and inclusion. She is the coordinator and designer of European and international research projects for the University of Geneva. Welcome, Cynthia.
1: Hello, and thank you for
0: being here. And Elena Garcia Armada. Elena is president and CEO of Marcy Bionics and was team leader of the Marcy Project. Elena is a robotics engineer and research scientist at the Spanish National Research Council, where she applied biomimetics to develop exoskeletons to help children affected by neurological diseases walk. She founded Marcy Bionics to take the idea out of the lab and into healthcare systems. Hello, Elena. Hello. Nice being here. Super. Super. Monica, your project, Disability, examined the interaction, tension, and conflict between the global and local issues surrounding disability. Can you give us an idea about how you went around doing this?
2: Yeah, so um, it's a relatively well known fact that the United Nations are organizing international years. And some of these, uh, for instance, the years dedicated to refugees, women, and children, have received uh, quite a lot of publicity. Uh, And when I first came across the International Year of Disabled Persons, which was held in 1981, um, I was quite surprised. First of all, uh, this is quite an unknown year. And uh, one thing which really surprised me was when I read about the demonstrations that disabled people organized against this year, because they thought that it didn't serve their interests they were unhappy with the patronising and the propaganda, which was often not followed up by concrete action. And so uh, this finding was, was quite counterintuitive. And this is actually how I got to study
0: the implications of this year. And how did you set out to do that study? As I, as I asked, how, how did you go about finding your information? Okay,
2: so as we know, approximately 10-15% of the world's population is estimated to be disabled. Uh, we also know that this number is expected to rise in the next few decades. But information is actually quite difficult to find because disability is a very heterogeneous phenomenon. So it includes people with physical, sensory, intellectual disabilities. So what is understood under the concept is can be very different across different historical periods and also in different uh, regions of the world. So we w- we wanted to expand the so-called Western horizon so that we can also study how disability is uh, experienced uh, in
0: different parts of the world. Can I stop you for a second and ask you mean, what you mean? Because you yourself said so-called Western horizon. So, so that is obviously some sort of term that's known by social scientists. Could you explain what you mean by Western horizon? Yeah. So in Western perception. Yeah, Western perception.
2: I mean... Uh, think of this for us uh, and you know when we read about the so-called disability rights movement it's about having right to education to accessible buildings social welfare we are talking about the need uh, to become in- independent but uh, how do we translate these categories to the context of a small african village where perhaps Poverty is the fundamental issue and the notions of independence or autonomy might make no sense at all. Where Perhaps there is a supportive family network, so social welfare is not relevant in, in that sense of the word. So we, we really wanted to find out how disability plays out uh, in very different, not only parts of the world, but also uh, in big cities, in small villages, in refugee camps, so in really different
0: settings. So all types of contexts.
2: Yeah, all types of contexts. Uh, and also we wanted to find out how the notion of disability changes
0: across time. Okay, so um, so that's two kind of concepts. It's sort of... Mm, present-day different contexts, every type of context that one can think of, but then also, as you say, the historical perspective. If we take the the first category, the, the notion of context and, and uh, awareness or, or concept of what the word disability means, how did you conduct your study? What did you do? Did you go out into African villages and ask, or did you look at literature? How, what did you actually do? Indeed, not myself, but
2: uh, we had a research team comprising six members, And some of us were doing archival research in numerous archives across the world, archives of international organizations, national archives, NGOs. Uh, Some of us, in fact, went out to these villages in Tanzania and
0: Kenya, uh, and engaged with the disabled people there. And what did you find? Because I think sorry to cut across you, but that that's actually very interesting. Um, with the people that actually went out into the field, for want of a better word, that went out into villages and went out to talk to to affected people. What what sort of findings were you you discovering with regards to perception and how it changed?
2: Um, in fact, what we found that um, you know we we cannot escape from stereotypical thinking when we are working at our desk. And once you really go to the field, then all those stereotypes uh, break. So that was, that was a very nice experience. And so what we found in the literature was often very generalizing, um, and we could find the more specific uh, experiences when actually engaging with the people.
0: Would you have some sort of example? I can understand totally what you're saying. And indeed, it's an interesting finding. But um, could you maybe uh, maybe think of an example of that kind of parallel where the preconception is one thing, but the reality is another?
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, we might uh, actually, the general conception still might be, especially in Europe, that, you know, people in Africa um, you know, they live in huge poverty and they are passive, you know, and uh, they, they are not uh, autonomous people. They are waiting for uh, foreign aid to come. And we realize that, of course, this is not at all true. And uh, disabled people also in Africa do have agency. They have wonderful ideas of how to organize themselves. So in that sense, these binaries about the so-called West and the rest have been uh, totally devalidated.
0: That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, fascinating. And with regards to the historical perspective, because that was the other aspect. Maybe I could give two very
2: simple examples. Please do. I'm short-sighted myself, so I'm wearing glasses, um, just as some of our other participants. So technically speaking, I have a disability. But because today it's so easy to correct short-sightedness, we wouldn't consider short-sightedness as a disability. Another example which might be quite surprising is that until 1973, uh, homosexuality was diagnosed as a mental illness officially. And now uh, half a decade later, this sounds for us quite shocking. So I think these two examples show that indeed the concept of disability and what is understood under the concept can radically change
0: over time. That's absolutely fascinating because it's. We might think about cultural contexts and how the the concept is perceived by different peoples around the world. But yes, you're quite right that we don't often necessarily think about the shift of interpretation within our own cultures. Of all the findings that your project managed to establish, what is the one thing that you would like to build on? In other words, what's what's the future for the disability project? What what would you like to to continue after your project um, ends?
2: Well, um, I think that uh, even though our project was um, of historical nature, uh, of course, we uh, are very much aware of the bioethical implications of disability. And uh, today, uh, with technological developments, um, there are wonderful ways to correct and cure certain conditions. uh, But that also raises the question, um, do we really need a perfect body, a perfect society, and so we are, we would like to ask uh, in the future, if we conduct research, whether it is a love of variety or the passion for similarity that should be the main guiding principle of human societies in the future.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very challenging question. That's very challenging, isn't it? Because we do instinctively all want to be similar, but in fact, actually... Perhaps the, the the diversity within our cultures is actually part of our strengths. Yes, excellent. Thank you very much, Monica. Indeed. Cynthia, the RiseWise project focused on how different countries in the EU work together to improve the integration and quality of life of disabled women. So can I ask you, has this is this new research or has this not been considered before, specifically with the concept of disabled women?
1: So, um, I think, and uh, we were very convinced that uh, one of the reasons why we won this project, we we got this project, was uh, this holistic, this um, whole approach to the women with disabilities. And uh, um, as far as we knew, uh, up to the moment that, that uh, in we wrote the project, there was no um, European-funded project on this domain. And this, this was, I think, uh, one of the... Winning factor of, of our project because um, so in the past uh, we saw that uh, the approach to the specific group of women with disabilities was only under a specific point of view. For example, I don't know uh, health issues, social issues, and so on. But we tried, and uh, fortunately, we were sus- successful with our project. Which we- try to, to have an approach, uh, an holistic approach. So um, uh, a total, a global approach to, to, the, to the women and to let also women with disability participate into the project.
0: When you say a global total approach, can you break that down a little bit more so that we can understand what you mean? I mean, we understand what global approach means, but within this context, what did you mean by global approach?
1: Yeah, so we offered uh, through through our project, we offered a vision um, uh, linked to um, different environment of uh, the daily living of a woman with disability. For example, we explored um, or investigated and we worked on uh, in different. fields for example work for example social uh, interactions for example family interaction education path and so on so we didn't decide to concentrate or to focus our activity only to one aspect because because we thought that women with disability are, are women with disability so as as as, as, a, as a as a person we can we 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 did not decide to to investigate only one aspect
0: uh-huh. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, we live our lives in the round. We don't just exist to go to work or just exist to provide childcare or just exist to etc. Yeah, you know, indeed, I can see. And it's interesting that your project was, if not one of the first, at least, you know, has some significant findings on this subject. And so what are those findings? What did you find, actually?
1: Um, so our our um, uh, project was uh, four and a half year long. So we had uh, many chances to, to for example, to exchange best practice and to find out that uh, the, that experiences in different countries within Europe and also outside Europe because we had. One two partners from one third country. They were from Turkey. So we found out that experiences can be very very different, even um, approaching the the daily life of a, of a woman with disability. So uh, you can you can think of uh, how a woman with disability can behave in Sweden and how she can behave in Turkey or in Italy, for example. So, but but our project was based on on uh, uh, best. Practice exchanges and they were very very successful. We exchanged. Can I stop you for a second, Cynthia? Sorry, what do you mean by best practice exchanges? What does that mean? Yeah, for example, we will we, we learned from each other. So uh, and also we used um, the best things that uh, other partners did to to uh, to be implemented within our institution. So for example, there was one association from uh, Bologna. They are dealing with. Uh, um, people with disabilities in their everyday life. And they they had the idea to, to perform a video with the women with disabilities saying to the other, to to the external world, the the words that they heard in their life, and the title of this video was "If you were not like this." So this is what what everyone said to them in their everyday life, and they and they and they repeated it in a very very so impressive video, and we used it. For example, in our dissemination communication and in our channels. So we put um, uh, the focus on another uh, aspect, so we we shifted the point of view. And the point of view was that one with the women with disabilities in the centre and uh, we we also uh, produce uh, other videos because we know that every day uh, and uh, now, nowadays um th- this is uh, very important also to communicate but we used also the what what we um uh, we found out within our institution for example in my university
0: so that actually takes me to to my next question which is the logical one you found this interesting information and you That is a very thought-provoking video. I can see that that would be interesting to just give back out what you receive as a disabled woman in terms of comments and so on around your daily life. It must be quite, perhaps quite shocking to hear some of the comments that the women were saying back out that they themselves had to to listen to um, so you were using the findings in your university I'm interested to know how this project is a driver for change what 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 were you planning to do with these findings so your university and, and where else and, and what sort of changes please
1: yeah I think that the most important achievement and the impact we had was within the academic institutions because as, as we all know we are behaving as, as inclusive organizations but if we we analyze every specific step of our day um, within the university, we are not so inclusive. So, for example, within our my university, the University of Genoa, we implemented um, real positive actions towards accessibility and inclusion of persons with disabilities. Then, uh, for example, we also did um, specific surveys about how the people with disabilities feel uh, to be included, because we, we take as granted the fact that we are inclusive, but, but it's not always so. And uh, within our um, actions uh, planned uh, within the universities, we inserted specific actions for women with disabilities, not only for disabilities. And th- th- this is one of the first uh, steps to, to introduce institutional changes, I think.
0: Yes, you are absolutely right. Any other examples outside of your university where this information that you found was used? Any other changes that that you know of?
1: Yeah, for example, um, uh, we had an association in uh, in Madrid, and they were dealing with uh, persons with disabilities, and they tried. They are always trying to insert people with disability within the job market, and uh, the Rise West project gave, gave them uh, the, the chance to be uh, known, to be much more known, because we organized the Conferences and so on, and now they are uh, inserting more people within, uh, for example, within uh, the, the job market. Oh, excellent! And also, one uh, one student from my university she, she took a prize from uh, the president of my of uh, the Italian Republic because of uh, a chatbot. So um, a specific. Uh, um, solution that she developed for women with disability.
0: And how does the chatbot work? In in what sort of context
1: does it help women? Yeah, so she she, uses, she, she was uh, working with uh, her final work for engineering uh, in, uh, computer, in computer science and she developed, um, uh, she extended one application from Telegram um, to be used by women with disabilities and she, they can uh, communicate uh, using this chatbot about, for example, accessibility issues in, in a specific uh, environment or domain or a space or a city and
0: so on. Right. So they can, for example, say this metro escalator is not working at the moment. You might not want to use that stop, yeah. for example.
1: Yeah, for example.
0: Yeah. Ah, excellent. Very practical. That's super. Thank you very much. Thank you. Does any of our guests have any questions for, for Cynthia? Yes. Monica. what would you like to ask?
2: Um, Ginger, I was quite impressed uh, by the range of issues that were at stake in this project. Uh, not only employment, uh, childcare, social rights and so on, but also the right to entertainment. And um, I found that very interesting because I think that it is often forgotten that uh, even disabled people have the right to a quality of life and not just to survive. So uh, can you tell us perhaps more about this aspect of the project?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the partners of um, of uh, the Risewise project was uh, the most important association for uh, multiple sclerosis in Italy and we worked with them because they are very strong uh, also at the international level and they are very strong at um, asking for um, social inclusion and the social and uh, um, the possibilities for example to go out to to, to go to the cinema to to to, to have a social life and so on and um... We we worked on on this also with, with other associations because our project was composed by half um, half by uh, academic institution and and the rest from by uh, associations or uh, enterprises and we worked on, on on this so we decided so where to where to work and then we we tried to to solve to find solution to propose and we we met also with uh, for example with the local uh, and policymakers uh, policy makers from our governments and so on. So the, the issues were raised. Uh, naturally, we didn't uh, find a, a global and one final solution for everything. But we started to, to work on this.
0: You started asking the questions in the right yeah. places and, and maybe pushing
3: and prompting a little.
0: Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Eleanor, do you have a question?
3: Yes, well, congratulations, Cynthia, for this great research. Yes, uh, you have uh, mentioned that a student was awarded uh, for the development of some digital solution for women with disabilities, and I was wondering if you have noticed uh, any gender uh, differences in the usability of the technologies, of the different technologies for, for disabilities? Is there a difference in, in the usability between men and women? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because numbers say that uh, women
1: uh, in general um, access less to technology uh, than men in general. And this gap is is immense, is, is uh, very, very vast uh, when uh, dealing with women with disabilities, because even if um, one can think that technology can help uh, them solve or um, work walk, work, work and so on uh, women with disabilities uh, remain um, uh, und- underrepresented within the technology domain and uh, this was uh, also um, a challenge for our academic world because uh, no one uh, up to that moment thought of, um, of this uh, important Chance and important challenge too, but uh, there are numbers. You know that uh, the European Commission uh, is offering uh, to us uh, uh, statistics and data and so on, and we thought that and we saw that uh, this gap is, is still very wide, unfortunately.
0: That's a very good question, Eleanor. Thank you for asking it, because it's, it's it's wonderful when you guys talk together. It's not a question I would have thought to ask, but of course, it's a, it's a fascinating point. Yeah, thank you for asking that. And in fact, Eleanor, I'll move to you now, if I may. Um, so, Marcy focused on one specific group facing disability, developing the first wearable robotic exoskeleton for children suffering from problems with walking. So, Eleanor, It's a fascinating project and and congratulations for having done it. Um, We hear quite a lot about harnessing robotic technology to help adults, but less often for children. Why is that, do you think? And and why did you feel driven to address this inequality? Well, um, the widely
3: use of robotic exoskeletons for walking disabilities is uh, only indicated for adult paraplegics. So the typical patient is a person who has suffered a traumatic spinal cord injury in a car accident or because of risky sports. But fortunately, robotic technology is evolving. And and thanks to this, we can expand the population groups that robotics can can help. And in particular, the pediatric population with motor disabilities is affected by other kinds of neurological diseases, such as cerebral palsy, uh, muscular atrophies. So their their articular joints and their muscles have, a, have symptoms that are very complex. They present like stiffness that uh, impede the, the, the joint motion, some contractors, deformities, even at the joints. And this complicates so much um, the control of uh, robotic systems to move these joints. And for this reason, and, and also because it's, there's a bunch of rare diseases, they have not received enough, enough attention until now uh uh-huh. And, and you actually founded Marcy Bionics
0: um, a while ago, before the project. So the project, as I mentioned at the start, was really to, to get your idea from the lab into healthcare systems. So when did you set up Marcy Bionics? How, how long have you been working on this particular
3: issue, Eleanor? Yes, well, when we finalized the first research prototype for children, um, then we received a huge demand from clinicians and families all around the world because there was no other a robotic device to allow children to walk, but as you may know, in a in a research center, this kind of prototypes cannot be used in the real life. So we needed to transfer these research results to the society by funding a company, and this was Marcy Bayonis, This was in in 2013. This was the reason why. We founded it. So we needed to industrialize, redesign, and also have all clinical research related to proof uh, that this technology can be uh, used by children with neurological diseases.
0: And is that where you are now? I mean, is, is, have, you, have you got that? Is it now out in hospitals
3: and being used by clinicians? Yes. At this moment, we've got C-marking of our devices, not only the pediatric, we have another one. What does C-marking mean, please? Okay, yes. Similarly, as as a drug and a medicament, so something that is used for for the clinical treatment of a patient uh, needs to be certified by a regulatory body in the clinical domain. This means the European Medicaments Agency must approve the use of a medicament or a clinical treatment. And that's where you're at. Yes. Uh-huh. So uh, exoskeletons are uh, medical devices. And as medical devices, there's a, an international regulation yeah. that determines how the device must, must be used. And also, you need to prove uh, in, with, with clinical trials and also uh, in laboratory that this device is safe for the use in a clinical setting and also can be used uh, for this kind of diseases, neurological diseases, and there, there are no side effects in in their use.
0: Right. Excellent. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. So when we come to the device itself, I know you mentioned biomimetics. Can you describe the device a little bit more? What What is the device?
3: <laughs> okay. Well, the device, the exoskeleton, is, is like a suite, a mechanical suite. Uh-huh. So it's like an exoskeleton that supports the body of a kid in this in this case is for kids that is too weak to stand up and walk by by himself or herself. So uh, the device is like a mechanical structure that gives support to the body. But what is most important is what is at the joints. So in parallel to the the kid's joints. The joints of the kids uh, have been demates and, and are too weak or perhaps some perturbations to the motion. As I said, there can be like stiffnesses that block the motion. So in parallel to the joints of the kids, the joints of the exoskeleton are artificial muscles. And this is what, what we provided in our research. This, this is what was new and what and uh, now allows the use of exoskeletons to children with this kind of disabilities, because this artificial muscle is not just a motor that moves the joint. It is like an intelligent uh, artificial muscle that can sense and understand what is happening there at the, at the joint of the kid, and then work with it to provide mobility. So it is compliant to the, to the muscles of the, of the kid, and also, it can allow the motion. It's like a suit.
0: Well, that's fabulous. That's absolutely amazing. How do the, the 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 artificial muscles at the joint of this suit? How do they interpret the movement that the child wants to make?
3: Well, there's like uh, so many components in terms of mechanical mm. uh, sensors and whatever. But, mm, I'm sure. But you can you can imagine that they're like energy, uh, like springs inside. So if the, if the kid is trying to move, even if it's very, very small, residual motion, just pushing just a very, very, very small amount of of force or, or very little. These springs that are so sensible can detect that there's some intention to move. There's so many other sensors there, but it's, it's just tra- trying
0: to understand the motion. Sure, sure. So it's like an anticipating the desire to move because they are so sensitive, the, 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 the springs. They anticipate the desire of the, of the child to move. It must be absolutely amazing for kids who've not been able to be vertical and move around autonomously. Have you, uh, That must be one of the best parts of your job. What are some of the experiences that you have, have seen with regards to
3: children and, and the relationship
0: they have with their parents as well?
3: Well, the experience are, are are lovely, really, because the first time that one of these kids, most of these kids have never walked in their life. So the first time that they stand up and, and start to walk, then there's a very, very big smile that arises on their faces. This is this is simply wonderful. But just after a couple of, of steps, they start to play because what, what the exoskeleton provides is the ability to play, so to do something that they they never could or or they did did but in a, in a completely different position, in a sitting position. But for example, some kids start to play basketball. So well with sure with a toy basket. But Wonderful. They start to play basketball or or perhaps uh, cooking, like in Master Chef, they like cooking. Yeah. Uh, or. Something very very nice when a girl started to to walk with with her little sister, yes. And well, this this is really amazing. But for example, parents, one of the parents of a kid with cerebral palsy told us that the kid uh, started to pay more attention at school, and also is like more it has more energy uh, throughout the day and social interaction is better and there's another family of in this case is a a kid with spinal muscular atrophy and with they have completely weakness all over the body and this kid started to eat by by himself because because of the, the the great impact on the great psychological impact of this technology because they feel they are able to do things they feel capable and so this a different way of understanding disability because we provide ability to 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 these kids. So it's it's really wonderful. The experience is wonderful.
0: It sounds fantastic. It sounds really really fantastic. Excellent. Does
3: anyone have any questions
0: to post to Eleanor? Yeah, Cynthia.
1: So I, I was very impressed by your project, and I was thinking of uh, the concrete results that the European projects can offer to to us, to, to our societies. So um, even if I know that uh, this is a maybe a personal um, appreciation, but uh, I'd like to to thank you for for this project and uh, what you were saying about the families and the reactions of uh, of the, the children was were very, very impressed to me. So I, I, I know that um, research projects like this maybe arise from other <laughs> Uh, ideas, uh, scientific ideas, and so on. But uh, so the concrete results that they are offering are very, very important for our society. And um, so the, the, my my question is, uh, wh- why did you implement this project? So the idea was was to have this uh, this result. And uh, but I think I I guess you were also thinking of. Uh, of the the social impact uh, of of your of your innovation of your device, if I'm not wrong.
3: Yes, well, thank you, Cynthia, for your words. Well, everything began step by step. The, the original idea was because we re, I received the, the the visit in my research center of uh, of of the parents of Daniela, a, a little girl with, um, with a case of disabilities, and then. I tried to understand what was the problem and and then I faced uh, the the, the real problem that 17 million children in the world are wheelchair-bounded and there's no technological aid for for them and despite there are some devices for for adults well they these kids don't receive enough attention so then I started to to understand why so what was the reason for for this and then I, I understood that it was a matter of the symptoms of this kind of diseases in in childhood but um, then it never stopped so I started to work on this I, I my team designed the device it worked fine and then this global demand uh, was was something that that came to us and so we needed to to make something to provide this technology to the society. So then founded the company and started to uh, approach new diseases to try to cover the, 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 the widest possible amount of, of disability or, or or pathologies. So, and now we are working for adults now because now we, we we have solved the problem with children. We we found out that the devices that are in the market for adults are not enough because. There's a very few populations that, that really can use it. And we are working towards affordability, which is something that also is a very important problem because um, these devices at this moment are a little bit expensive to be to be used at home for particular use or to be purchased by by families uh, or, or by patients. So they are used at the clinical domain. But what we need now to to do is try to make them affordable so they can they can reach um, uh, the families, their homes, and they can be used as a technical aid for locomotion. So children can go to school with a device and, and so on. So there's so much to do. And this is something that is, I think, step by step. So, well, it was a matter of trying to solve something, the responsibility of a, of a researcher about solving uh, real social needs, uh, making use of the technology, and, and it, it, this is, Going from one step to another,
0: and it never stops. Marvelous. Well, we're very lucky that there are people like you out there that are are that enthusiastic and dedicated to to solving these kind of really practical issues that sometimes we don't notice unless we're directly affected by them. That's the thing, and I see that really. I suppose what you'd like ideally would be for these exoskeletons to be almost like well, in fact, replacing wheelchairs. I was going to say like wheelchairs. You know, you see wheelchairs. You know, people using wheelchairs at home in the domestic situation and at school and so on. I suppose really you'd like to see them as ubiquitous as wheelchairs, replacing wheelchairs at one day. I guess Eleanor is what you'd hope. Well,
3: I, I really don't think that exoskeletons will replace wheelchairs because it's something like you can use a bicycle to to move farther and and you can go walking for daily life activities. If you want to go down to buy bread or milk or whatever, then you go walking, you don't use the bicycle. But if you would like to go farther or quicker, perhaps you will take a a motorbike or whatever. Well, I believe it can be something like this. So extra modality. Yeah, exoskeletons provide the ability to walk and for daily life activities, this is the goal of of the exoskeleton technology to provide uh, assistance to daily life activities. But perhaps the wheelchair provides like um, more speed to go longer or faster or whatever. Yes.
0: Yes. Basically, you're saying it's context dependent. Yes. You'd like to say context dependent and become something like an additional way of moving rather than just being wheelchair bound, as you said earlier. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you very, very much. Well, thanks to all three of you for all the work that you're doing, which is um, in each separate way, highlighting and changing the lives of of people with disabilities. So excellent. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah. And you know, I was also impressed by
2: the way you brought the three of us together. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> thank you very much. That's sweet of you. I appreciate that that the kind word, Monica. Thank you. Me too, me too. Thank you, Cynthia. It wasn't necessarily a
2: very logical combination. Yeah, but I think now it, it works very well because, you know, there, there are the practical implications, the social implications, the historical implications. So
0: there we go. Excellent. Thank you very much. And thank you also for participating in today's podcast.
1: Welcome. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you to you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Are you interested in what other EU-funded projects are doing to support those affected by disability? The Cordis website will give you an insight into the results of projects funded by the Horizon 2020 program that are working in this area. The website has articles and interviews that explore the results of research being conducted in a very broad range of domains, from social sciences to photonics. There's something there for you. Maybe you're involved in a project or would like to apply for funding. Take a look at what others are doing in your domain. So come and check out the research that's revealing what makes our world tick. We're always happy to hear from you. Drop us a line, editorial at cordis.europa.eu. Until next time.